growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. He is still having his effect in this world. Satan is still in control. It is a limited control. It is a limited power, but he still is loose on this earth. And part of what he does is deceive people into thinking that, hey, you know what? You don't need God either. When you hear the name Satan or the devil, what comes to mind? Many people today don't believe the devil is real, but perhaps even worse, many who say they believe he's real live like he's not. He is real, he is active and alive, but he is a defeated foe. Paul said we need to be prepared for his attacks. Peter said we need to be alert to the fact that he desires to devour. And Jesus said, we need to be aware of the fact that he is a thief, a liar, and a murderer. But what we do not have to be is afraid. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today we come to the middle part of the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, if this is your first time with us, Pastor Clay is leading us on a year-long study of this great prophetic book. Satan is mentioned numerous times in the book of Revelation, but today we're going to take some time to study him more closely, and we're going to learn a little about his end. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Thanks for being with us as we continue our journey in the Revelation. I was thinking about, you know, we, we have devil's food cake. We have the Duke Blue Devils. We have uh, the Devil's Triangle. Charlie Daniels wrote a song called Devil Went Down to Georgia. We've we, we got, we got stuff like that. But, but how many of us actually think about the devil? I mean, actually put some thought uh, into that. Last year in uh, 2009, the ABC News show uh, Nightline did a live debate in Seattle for participants, did this live debate on the existence of, of the devil, of Satan, whether he was real or not real. And in that special, one of the things that they brought out was that a recent uh, survey concluded that uh, upwards of 70% of Americans believe that the devil is real, either uh, as, a, as an evil force in the world or as an actual spiritual entity, up to 70%. Now, that's a little higher than a statistic I had seen from 2007 that said about 64% uh, believed in the existence of devil. Uh, but be that as it may, it still appears that the majority of Americans believe that the devil is real. But we don't live like the devil is real. Uh, some of you, uh, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, some of you know that I'm reading a book right now entitled Believing in God, or the, the title, the main title is The Christian Atheist, and the subtitle is Believing in God, but Living as if, he, as if He Doesn't Exist. The Christian Atheist, Believing in God, but Living as if He Doesn't Exist. As you could probably surmise, the, the crux of the book's message is that, that there are a lot of people that claim they believe in God, but they don't live their lives in any way that shows they believe in God. There's no, in other words, there's no tangible evidence in their life that God is real 
to them. Even though they'd say intellectual, yes, I believe in God. There's nothing tangible in their life. By the way, if you're wondering, okay, well, what would be tangible evidence that I believe in God? Well, you know, I don't know what all you'd say on that, but I, I could certainly think that I could say that, that it would be living my life in a way that, uh, that lines up with, with the boundaries and the expectations and the standards of God and then experiencing the fullness and the joy that God says that I can have in a relationship with him. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6. He said this, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? It's a rather profound question, isn't it? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. In other words, the, the life that, that, that is demonstrating a belief in God uh, has this foundation to it that is unshakable. And it appears in their life. It's actual there. And it comes out of a life of obedience to God. We could write a book kind of like that in regards to our belief in the, in the existence of, of Satan. It would be something like that. It would be um, a belief in the existence of Satan, saying that we believe he exists, but living like he doesn't exist. Uh, this person known as the devil or Satan shows up a, a number of times in the book of Revelation. But today, in chapter 12 and verses 7 through 10 of Revelation, we come to a rather significant event in the life of Satan. And so, therefore, it is rather significant in our lives. And we're going to spend some time, a few moments this morning, looking at this enemy who apparently the vast majority of Americans say they believe in and to see what difference that would make in our lives. Think about it this way. If the police came to you and said, we have it on good authority, on very good authority, that there is someone out there that hates you, and they intend to bring great harm to you and to your family, I ask you a question, would that affect your day in any way? Would that affect how you lived your life that day in any way? Of course it would. Of course it would. The Apostle Paul said that, that the devil, Satan, shoots spiritual, fiery arrows into our lives. Apostle Peter said that the devil walks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus said that, that the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So if we believe that that is true, do we really live our lives like that is true? I want to explore who this who this enemy is today in hopes that we're better equipped, better prepared when we come against him. Revelation uh, chapter 12, I'm reading this morning from verses 7 through 10. This is our second week in chapter 12, and we'll be in there one more week. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, 
who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, this is good, y'all, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Here's the first uh, subject or topic that I want to touch on this morning. And by the way, if you like to take notes, there is an outline on the back of your information sheet if you're, uh, if you're not familiar with that. Here's the first t- subject that I want to talk, on t- uh, talk about this morning, and that is his position, this enemy of ours, his position. At some point in the created order, before the creation of man, Satan was apparently a high-ranking angel in heaven. It's probably pretty safe to say that he was probably the highest-ranking angel in the angelic host, if I can use that term. His name was Lucifer, and he was, according to Scripture, probably the most beautiful, the most intelligent and probably the most powerful angel that God ever created, or creature in general that God ever created. The name Lucifer comes from the Latin phrase, lucum ferrer, I believe is how you say it, um, and it simply means that it's a light bearer, that he is the light bearer, a light bearer. It, it, and that, of course, the Old Testament wasn't written in, he, in uh, Latin, it was written in Hebrew, and it This phrase comes from the Hebrew word Hillel, which means brightness. It was apparently Lucifer's position in heaven to to display the brilliance and the radiance and the glory of God. Now, all of us are called to display the glory of God in our lives. But apparently, in some special way, Lucifer was called to display the glory of God in in a special and in a unique way. He is Lucifer. He was the brightness. He was uh, the one who, who displayed the glory of God. Perhaps it was part of God's plan that he would, was, would display that to mankind. But it was his position in heaven, and it was a great position, which leads us to the second subject that I want to discuss, and that is his pride. His pride was such that it caused Satan to come to this place where Perhaps because of his beauty, perhaps because of his intelligence, perhaps because of his strength. But he came to this place where he decided that he was in some way at least equal to God, if not superior to God. In Isaiah chapter 14, we find these words. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will make myself like the most high his pride that caused him to come to this place where where he in essence said to himself I don't need God he came to the belief that he in essence was his own god and he didn't need God he could be above God his pride he let it come into his life And it had that type of effect. You see, one of the things that you and I need to understand is that God gave free will to his angels just as he gives free will to us. No one serves God 
like robots, including the angels. Free will means that I have the opportunity to choose to love God, to choose to serve God, to choose to follow God, to choose to to know Him. But unfortunately, along with free will comes the opportunity to choose to reject God, to rebel against God, which is exactly what Satan did. His pride caused him to rebel against God, turn away from God, and believe that he himself could be God, which then brings us to the third idea that I want to discuss, and that is his power. Satan, and I want you to listen to everything I say here carefully, Satan is still loose on this world. He is still having his effect in this world. Most of us would acknowledge that and recognize it and can see ways in which he does have his effect, but he is still loose. Satan is still in control of this world system. Now listen to me, it is a limited control. It is a limited power, but he still is loose on this earth, still in some respects wreaking havoc on this earth. And part of what he does is deceive people. Deceive people into thinking that, hey, you know what, you don't need God either. If you think about it, that's what any person does that rejects God or rejects even a a belief in God. The atheist, the the agnostic, the person who's just living their life with little regard to their spiritual well-being but thinking only about, you know, this life and how I can get along and really has nothing to do with God. In essence, they're saying the same thing. I don't need God. I can live my life the way I want. This is, this is my life, and I can live it my way, and nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. That's what pride will do, and that's what Satan is still in the process of doing, is deceiving people. And by the way, if that's how you think about your life, this is my life. I can live it my way. I can make my choices. If that's the way you're thinking about it, then listen to me. You've bought the lie. You've bought the lie that says you're not accountable to anyone. You don't have to bend your knee to anyone. You are your own master. You have control of your own fate. He also deceives through false religion. Satan is a very religious guy. Listen, I, I have been to Africa and I have seen the people living in fear and paying the witch doctor to, to help appease the animistic gods in which they worship. I've been to South and Central America, and I've seen the Quechua Indians lay out gifts and offerings and and food and and bottles of whiskey at the graveside of their loved ones who have died before them as an act of worship in their their ancestral worship that they're caught up in. I've, I've been to Sri Lanka, and I've seen the Hindu temples, and I've seen the people pray and, and, and serve the thousands of gods in vain that will never answer their prayers. I've been to China. And I've seen the Buddhist temples high above the villages. And I've seen the peasant farmers eking out a living, but coming at the end of the day or early in the morning and climbing all of those stairs all the way to the top of the temple that they might offer sacrifice to God who will never hear them. Oh, Satan doesn't care if you're religious. I suspect the way he sees it, if you worship anyone or anything other than the one true God, really you're worshiping him. He deceives. He's the master deceiver, and he is still loose on this earth doing just that. Now, I want to discuss the the fourth area that I want to discuss this morning is his punishment. 
His position, yes. Pride, yes. Power, yes. But I want to talk about his punishment. Because listen to me, I want you to understand this. Ultimately, God is in control. I I want to make sure that that's clear and that you understand that. Good will triumph over evil. Do you hear me? Good will triumph over evil. It triumphed personally at the cross. When Christ laid down his life, when his perfect sinless life was sacrificed for you and for me so that anyone who would confess, acknowledge our sin, turn from our sin, and place our faith in his finished atoning work on the cross, any of us could enter into a relationship with him. And it triumphed personally. And it triumphed practically when three days later, Christ rose from the grave, busting loose from the bonds of death and and bringing forth the promise to every one of us that even if we die, yet shall we live. Practically speaking, good has triumphed over evil. And, listen to me, it will triumph permanently when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on this earth, when righteousness removes wickedness, when light removes darkness, when good removes evil, when truth overcomes lies. Um, I, I don't think I mentioned earlier, I gave you his name, Lucifer, and, and what that meant. I didn't give you Satan, if you want to go back and, and fill that in, uh, because when he fell, he was no longer Lucifer. After that day, he was Satan, which means adversary. He became your adversary and my adversary, and the cosmic struggle began that day. Now, here's how his punishments line up. First, his, his punishment is this. Satan has been cast down from his position. When Satan rebelled, according to Isaiah 14, when Satan rebelled, after that moment, he was no longer called the the son of the dawn. He was no longer called the, the brightness, the reflection of the glory of God. He no longer had those names, and he lost his position. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The unique purpose for which he was created that gave meaning and purpose and, and fulfillment and satisfaction and everything to his life that anybody would want to have in their life. Every bit of that, he lost it when he fell. I want you to think about what a tragic idea that is, to miss the unique purpose for which you were created. Devil, angel, you or me, to miss that purpose. What a tragedy that is. My wife knows this. A couple of you know that I'm writing a book Right now, whether it ever gets published or not remains to be seen. But I'm writing a book entitled, or this is the rough title, "I Get It!" Exclamation point. And the subtitle would be "Unlocking the Key to Living the Christ-Filled Life." The crux of the book is this. Look at me. There is so much more in this life of following Jesus than most of you are experiencing in your lives. There is so much more. 
So much more that is involved in what God wants for your life. So much more fulfillment. So much more contentment. So much more peace and meaning and and strength and power and faith. So much more than, I'm just telling you, I'm not picking on y'all. I'm just telling you, over, over 20 years of ministry, I have met very few, some, yes, praise God for y'all, but I've met very few people who are actually living out the Christ-filled life in the way the Bible tries to, to say that we can live it out. And listen, I struggle at times too, so I'm not, but to actually live it out. And part of getting it and part of living it out is understanding that you were created for a unique purpose and that ultimately only you can fulfill that purpose and how tragic it would be to miss that purpose. Satan missed it. Because he rebelled against God, he allowed pride to come in his life, he turned away from God, and he was cast down from his position in heaven. The second aspect of his punishment looks like this. Satan will be cast out of heaven. Now, this comes as a surprise sometimes to some people, so don't be shocked like this, or at least don't show it that you're that shocked. But this does come as a surprise to people sometimes uh, to understand that apparently... Satan still has access to some degree to heaven. Job chapter 1 certainly seems to make that clear. That even though he lost his position, his title, and all that went with that, even though he lost that, according to Job chapter 1, he still goes before God, I'm sure on God's terms and when God says, but he still uh, is, appears in heaven, and according to Job chapter 1, and, and this text that we're reading about in Revelation 12, which is what this is dealing with right here. He comes and brings charges against, he accuses the believers, which is the other name that he's known by, the devil. It means accuser. I have no doubt that he has accused me of many things in my life, and probably rightfully so. But I'm so grateful that my advocate, my defense attorney, is able to say, wait just a minute. This is my child. He's washed in my blood. He's adopted into my family. He is the accuser. And even though he still has access in heaven, there is coming a day, and that's what we're reading about here in Revelation 12 uh, this morning, there is coming a day when he will be permanently cast out of heaven. In verse 7 it says, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels. Michael, uh, whose name means who is like God, is an archangel, meaning that he is a commander of armies of angels, maybe the commander, probably, almost certainly, the commander of the commanders. By the way, do you see the irony in his name? Satan in Isaiah 14 says, I will be like God, and the one that God chooses to to kick Satan out is Michael, whose very name means who is like God. And there is a battle in heaven, and the text seems to imply that that God is the one who picks the fight. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Uh, By the way, this is not the first time that Michael and Satan have tangled. Uh, In the book of Jude, we find out that apparently at some time, don't know when, as far as I know, this is the only place it's mentioned, the book of Jude, uh, Satan tried to steal the body of Moses. Supposedly, or I assume, so that he could present it to the Israelites and the Israelites would bow down and and worship Moses' body as an idol instead of worshiping the God who Moses served. And Michael stopped him. 
In Daniel chapter 10, the text says that there's an angel trying to bring a message to Daniel, a prophetic message. Daniel's been praying, fervently praying, and God is sending a message, and an angel is hindered. The text says in Daniel 10, he's hindered by the king or the prince of Persia. And in the context, clearly is not referring to an earthly king, but to a spiritual one, to a spiritual ruler. And Michael comes to his aid and brings the message on through. This is not the first time they've tangled, but this is apparently the last time they will tangle. And the battle is not in question for very long because the dragon was cast down. He'll be cast out of heaven. It takes place at this point, this juncture in Revelation chapter 12. And the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. He's had access to this earth. Certainly that is true. But now... For whatever time he has left, he only has access to the earth where before he could go to heaven, that place that is unimaginable to us that he apparently was still allowed some access to, now he is shut out and he is is thrown to earth. And as we'll see next week, he ain't happy about it because he knows at this point, I think, at this point he knows that his days are numbered and that his time is almost up. And we'll see next week how he throws out his fierce vengeance, but he's thrown out. So, he, uh, he's cast down from his position. He will be cast out of heaven. And then the third aspect of his punishment is this. Satan will be cast into the abyss and the lake of fire. I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself. We're not going to be there for a few months. But y'all don't mind if we take a sneak peek, do you? Revelation chapter 20. Look at this. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. The thousand years referring to the thousand year reign of Christ. I've mentioned that before. We'll see it when we get to uh, the latter end of the book. But the, the actual ruling and reigning of Christ will physically, bodily come back to earth and establish his kingdom here on earth for a thousand years. Satan will be bound and thrown into the abyss. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he's loosed for a short period of time and then Further on in Revelation chapter 20, it says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. As I've said a lot of times, it's the end of the book and we win. This is the enemy that we face. He is real. He is active and alive. But he is a defeated foe. Even though he's still loose in this world, he is a defeated foe. Paul said we need to be prepared for his attacks. Peter said we need to be alert to the fact that he desires to devour. And Jesus said we need to be aware of the fact that he is a thief, a liar, and a murderer. But what we do not have to be is afraid. Because as John writes in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Say it with me, will you? 
because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Clearly, as we saw today, Satan's days are numbered. He's already been defeated at the cross and the empty tomb, but praise God, there is a day coming when our enemy will be defeated permanently. As it is now, he's still in the world today, deceiving so many with lies and looking to bring harm to the children of God. As Pastor Clay reminded us, we need to be prepared, we need to be alert, and we need to be aware. But we don't need to be afraid because we have the promise that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.